Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Ten o'clock hour, and welcome into the show. We have Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. And I'll tell you what, this is uh, the perfect time for the holiday season. It is... um, 10.03, time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. It's December 1st, and that means it's time for your athletic subscription for that loved one in your family. So don't think about uh, clothing or jewelry. If you have a loved one, and I mean really a special somebody, that girlfriend, that wife, I mean, it's the athletic subscription under the tree, I would think. I appreciate it, Danny. Yeah, and they just had a uh, great... Uh, Friday, Black Friday special and Cyber Monday special, a dollar per month uh, for The Athletic. And I don't know if they're going to extend that or not, but uh, I'll keep you posted. But uh, thank you for pumping the tires. How you doing, buddy? Awesome, buddy. Thanks for coming in. Yep. We're going to have hockey? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think anytime soon. You know, it. Uh, the conversation the past couple months was uh, January 1st. And even as recently as a couple weeks ago, Danny, uh, Gary Bettman was on a call with uh, player representatives and, and said January 1st is our date. But, you know, now there's some back and forth over uh, payments and, and salary. And, and so uh, they haven't spoken a lot here lately. And uh, the further this gets into December, and as Randy said, the more we hear about uh, the spike in numbers, uh, I think we're looking at mid to late January, possibly even February. Can they fit a season in if it goes that late? I think they can, but I think we're talking uh, 60 games probably knocked down to 48. I think 60 probably would have been ideal. A lot's been made about getting the season done, the playoffs done, the Stanley Cup awarded before uh, the Olympics start because obviously you don't want to compete with the Olympics. Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, has kind of uh, denied that. Uh, but I think that they do want to get it done in early July prior to the Olympics. So I would think we're looking at 48 games if we don't get started until February. Is 48 the the fewest amount of games that they can play? I believe they had 48. Uh, that was one of the lockout the years. Lockout years. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I think that would work. And look, uh, you know, this past year you had 61, I think, the Blues played uh, roughly. Uh, 71. So I think... You know, with what we've been dealing with in all sports, if you can get at least 48 played in hockey, I think. I mean, look, look at baseball. Would you play 60, you know, out of 162? So I think it's uh, definitely something that they can work with. Um, I've had a lot of people in the crossover uh, talk about what I was just talking about with Randy Michelle, which is, again, I want to preface this by saying, look, I understand there's a lot of people suffering a lot of people suffering, you know, from uh, being out of work and what the uh, pandemic has done to so many people in every walk of life, every walk of life, out of work, worried about their next paycheck, putting a roof over their heads, putting food on the table. And the last thing we're worried about is professional athletes. I mean, let's be honest to an extent. I mean, guys that have made millions of dollars, but I do want to say this um, in terms of and you dealt with it with a lockout. I do think, though, there were guys that that walked away from that bubble where it wasn't easy. Um, just it just wasn't easy dealing with the bubble. What what were your um, in, in dealing and talking with guys that were in the bubble? What what did they come away with? And and what you heard about dealing with the bubble? And again, they're making millions, so I'm not making excuses. But what did you hear about how it was just dealing with the bubble and 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 why they don't want to do it going forward? 
uh, in 2021 and beyond. Yeah, Danny, I think there were a number of factors, and I'm just going to speak uh, to the Blues here because speaking to a number of them, uh, you're in St. Louis and you have that training camp before you go to the bubble. First of all, a, a couple of the players had pregnant wives and they were worried how that was all going to unfold. Then you don't know what to expect when you get to Edmonton. What's it going to be like? There were a lot of things promised in the return to play negotiation, whether it be fishing, hikes, golf, things like that, that never materialized. So once they get up there, they don't know what's going on. And then when some of those activities aren't there for them, and then also let's not forget that for some of those teams that advanced to the conference finals, uh, never got to bring in their families as was promised. So there are a lot of things that didn't go as expected. But I think the situation with the Blues, they get there, uh, they don't know what to expect. They didn't play well early on, Dan, and I think that in their minds, because they did it so often that Stanley Cup year, they could just turn it on and play well, that they thought that they could do that again. And and so when you don't win any games in in the round robin and you uh, and you feel like you're going to be able to turn it on and then you don't, you know, I agree with you. I think for the teams that won, like the Blues, like Boston, you put yourself in a bad spot and you say, you know what, this, this just isn't worth it. And uh, I think we saw that. Were play- so would players ever do that again? Or are they just going to say absolutely not? I don't think so for a few reasons. One, I mean, they had to get the, the Stanley Cup played. You know, if they're going to start a new season, I don't know that we'll see bubbles, but we could see four hub cities where they go into these cities and, and, and play the games against uh, other teams. You could see the Blues go into, let's just say, Vegas and, and play a team a few times and then turn around and come back to St. Louis. So yeah. they'd be, I, I, that's what I mean. I mean, they would go for like a week or two, like a road right. trip, but then come back home. Yeah, so I think we could see that. I just don't know that you're going to see this uh, shutdown bubble. Plus, if, if you're coming home and then you're going back out there, sure, you're getting tested, but it's not going to be as airtight as what we saw in Edmonton and, and Toronto where they had so much success with the bubble. Yeah. How about Bennington? He he kind of had some interesting words about the bubble, didn't he? Yeah, he said it wasn't really for him. And, and again, you know, you can't make excuses. And I don't think he was trying to there. And, you know, there was a lot of people that, that criticized his entire playoff. I thought he was actually pretty good in the round robin for a game or two and then kind of started to tail off uh, at the end of that. And and then uh, in the first round series against Vancouver, uh, certainly didn't play well. Luckily, they had Jake Allen to step in. But as Randy said during the crossover, uh, Jordan Bennington in his postseason remarks said that I need the electricity in the air. And and we go back to that, that cup run. I remember being in Winnipeg for that first round series against the Jets. I mean, the people are chanting, and that's the loudest arena in the NHL to me. The people are chanting, you look nervous. And he's just deflecting shot after shot uh, and, and playing so well. And so I think he thrives on that, like a lot of players, like a lot of goalies. And he didn't have that, and I think it was noticeable. What about uh, the Petro situation? Now you've had time to reflect on it um, as you kind of peel back the layers of that situation and what's happened. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's unfortunate. I really do. I think this is a deal that could have and and should have probably got done in St. Louis. Alex Petrangelo, captain of the team, and I do think there was a a legacy building there. Maybe not completely there yet, even though you win uh, the Stanley Cup. He himself admitted probably had some more to do if we're talking about retiring a sweater, uh, if we're talking about a statue out in front of Enterprise Center. Uh, But you you look at the contract situation, I think it just, it shouldn't have got to the 11th hour is, is, is the way I see it. I, I think this is something, even though we had the pandemic, it was a situation where they had spoken multiple times in the, in the 
previous 15 months and one side wasn't ready to do it or the other side wanted too much or the other side wanted to pay too little. And that's negotiation. I get it. And and things work off of deadlines, right? Uh, But with a player of that high profile and and a player who means so much to the team, I feel like that's something that, that should have gotten done sooner. And if that does get sooner, Dan, then we don't have what I believe became a personal situation uh, between Alex Petrangelo uh, and the Blues, which essentially is Doug Armstrong. Now, people might uh, deny that and say that uh, it didn't become personal, but uh, you know, let's be open here uh, that uh, negotiations in professional sports are very difficult. You're talking about players picking up and, and moving their families, and I, I can just tell you I know for a fact uh, that regardless of, of what either tells you publicly it did become a situation where it was like you know what it's just best to separate what was the difference in money as it all breaks down what's the difference in money well i think the money fluctuated you know i believe there was a point in time where alex petrangelo was asking for likely 9.25 which is a little bit more than roman yossi i know the blues at one point were at 7.75 i know the blues came up to the figure of eight times eight that was well documented uh, i think that alex petrangelo you know, might have accepted a little more than 8.0 with a a full no movement and and that signing bonus money that he was talking about, which he did get in Vegas. But there again, I think it got so close to him becoming a free agent on that day that he just said, you know what, I'm this close, I'm going to go check it out. And then that's when they signed Tory Krug, and then then he signs with uh, Vegas. So, you know, I don't think they were that far apart on the money. I just feel like Alex Petrangelo felt on principle what he had done here. He deserved those things that he was asking for. And uh, Doug Armstrong, as we wrote throughout that entire process, uh, you know, just doesn't give out the no move and doesn't give out the uh, the signing bonus money. So in terms of the no movement and uh, no trade, that kind of thing, um, it was included. It just wasn't the full no movement. So at what point um, was that going to trigger in year what of that deal with the Blues? Yeah, so so publicly, you know, Doug Armstrong came out and said that they offered the uh, partial no movement. And, uh, you know, it's a situation where he hasn't, given out one of those before, as I said. And so whether Alex Petrangelo had that in, you know, the X number of years of the contract, typically they don't want to give that out in the latter stages of the contract because they want the ability to buy out a player. You know, you don't know what to expect from, let's just say, Alex Petrangelo at 37, 38 years old. So the, the teams want that flexibility. Uh, obviously, uh, Alex Petrangelo wanted the full no move for the full term of the deal. But again, I think it got so close to him being able to go shop around and look, uh, you know, say what you want to say about the deal not getting done in St. Louis. He got everything that he wanted with the Vegas deal. Uh, this question from the 314 for JR. How is Alex Steen? Will he play next year? He's my favorite player. Yeah, no, that's a, a tough one because he meant so much, I think, during that Stanley Cup run. And good for Alex because uh, obviously people were critical of him the past couple of years saying that was a bad deal. Uh, how many years? A couple in a row probably we heard that they should uh, buy out Alexander Steen. And, and again, he, he really was a big part of that fourth line with Barbashev and Sunquist uh, in the uh, Stanley Cup run. So Alex Steen gets banged 
banged up, and he, he wasn't really a factor in the playoffs. And the thing that I take away from what Doug Armstrong has told us about Alexander Steen's situation, he says, guys, look, you saw that he was, he was injured at the end of the year. Uh, and that we don't expect him to be ready for the start of the season. And and Danny, he is saying that when he doesn't know when the start of the season is. So y- you would think that if there was some sort of timetable where, okay, he'll be ready, you know, January 1st, January 15th, Doug would say, yeah, we'll see when the season starts. But he said that they feel like he won't be ready for the start of the season so you don't know. In terms of the European players, are they starting now to fly over to uh, North America now because – if there's European players that uh, are with Canadian teams, they've got a quarantine, I believe, for 14. what, 12, yeah, 14 days. 14 so days, yeah. They probably got to start being here, uh, flying over, probably over the weekend, yeah. right? Yeah, I think a majority of the players, especially in Europe, have uh, made the trip. I know a number of the Blues are in town skating at Centene. They're getting tested. Uh, some of the players post stuff on, on social media. Um, so I think that a number of those guys are in. But when I spoke to, let's just use these two players, I spoke to Jordan Bennington a couple weeks ago, uh, spoke to Robert Thomas. They were still in the Toronto area, and they were going to another, wait another week or week and a half. So probably about now is when they'd be coming to St. Louis. And I know that there are some players who are kind of delaying that just because they don't know when this is going to get going. And, uh, you know, they don't know when camp's going to start. So if they were to play January 1st, as you guys have been saying, uh, you'd have to get camp going around December 15th. So they're going to have to get here fairly soon. I think just a few of them are waiting it out. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford is in studio. A lot of questions coming in. 65780 on the Air Comfort Service text line. Scoops with Danny Mack. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Jeremy Rutherford is with us. And this from the 636. In your opinion, J.R. Robert Thomas ready to be a top-line guy? I definitely think so. I think he is terrific. He's going to have to work on a couple things, which I'll get into. But Robert Thomas has the vision. He has the awareness. He has the speed. He can bring the puck into the zone. He can distribute. It seems like every time, Danny, I'm watching the Blues play, he just makes some uh, spectacular pass. And so I think with more minutes and with uh, better line mates in that top six, he can be terrific. Uh, Craig Bruby said, work on that conditioning, work on that fitness, and he's going to take it to the next level. Question from the 636. Shortened season, will the players' bonuses get prorated? Say Pareko scores 15 goals, 82 games. Note, bonus money is not deferred. Yeah, they're going to have to work out the uh, bonus stuff, and that'll be included in the language when when all the lawyers on both sides uh, get together. But to my knowledge, none of this uh, will get uh, prorated in terms of their their salary. They'll make their salary. The biggest thing is they're going to have to give up uh, some escrow money, and uh, they've got it settled for this year in terms of it being 20% of their salary. It's in the later years of this CBA, uh, years four or five, that uh, they're they're talking about the, the escrow growing because the league needs it to be higher pure speculation from the 314 who does seattle go after on the blues in the expansion draft yeah and that's going to come up uh quicker than we we know it because uh, it seems like it's been so far off but uh, the blues list i think has probably changed a little bit with uh, some of the moves they've made i I think guys that are vulnerable to being picked up uh, and that means left exposed by the blues uh it could be a vince dunn and i know he doesn't have a contract now but uh, if they get him signed he's a guy it could be justin falk that gets left exposed i just just don't see 
see Seattle, uh, even though with Ron Francis's connection to Falk in Carolina, uh, taking on that big-term contract. And another name that I keep throwing out there just to keep an eye on, David Prawn. I think he's been a terrific mm. blue for years and years and years. Uh, but David Prime with just one year left on that deal after this contra- after this uh, upcoming season uh, might be a guy that the Blues couldn't protect. From Danny Mackey in the studio. That's me. Yep. Uh, <laughs> David Perron, um, you had an interesting uh, piece about him coaching. Yeah. Um, he's coach. He's staying busy, and he's he's got a 6U team. Yeah, so uh, it, it's funny because uh, David Prime, he's one of my favorites to cover of all time, just so thoughtful. And so I picked up the phone, I called him, asked him what he's doing during this unexpected time off. Danny, these guys aren't used to being off in yeah. November, uh, December. And so what he decided to do is he has a little five-year-old, Mason Perron, and uh, he became the coach of his team. And uh, Tyler Bozak has a kid on the team. Cannon Bozak, those guys uh, were in a picture a couple weeks ago that, that Tyler's wife Molly took and uh, the NHL picked it up. And so uh, the fun part of the story, Dan, is I talked to the uh, co-coach on the team and he said David Perron skated up to him first practice. The two never met each other. And David Perron fist bumped this guy and said, isn't just this the best being out here <laughs> with our kids? And so, you know, uh, the, the one other funny part, too, is uh, David's out there teaching him. And I text uh, Ken Hitchcock and I said, can you believe can you believe that David Braun is coaching people right now? And I said, and, and Ken Hitchcock said, I wonder where he got that from, uh, his knowledge, maybe some old grumpy guy. <laughs> That's good stuff. Um, who is the, the 314? Who's the best defensive partner for uh, Tory Krug? Well, I think they're going to mix it up. I think you're going to see a little bit of Tory Krug and, and Colton Pareko probably, but, but I also think Falk. I really do because yeah. I think your number one right side defenseman is obviously Colton Pareko. And to me, you look at that left side and, and Tory Krug is probably your top guy on that left side. The one thing that I did not know when they when they signed Tory Krug, but now both the guys have talked about it, is Krug and Falk played together at the uh, World Championships, right. and in fact, I think they even roomed together. So they there's did. some chemistry there, and, and so I think that's a possibility. But but even if that wasn't the case, I could see Craig Bruby mix and match in that top four. Couple questions about a guy: um, Do you see the Blues signing a player like Mike Hoffman? You know, it's a possibility. He's still the main guy out there in terms of a free agent forward. And uh, with with the cap not going up, the Blues are going to have some wiggle room because they have the long-term injury reserve that they can use. If you put Tarasenko and Steen on the LTIR, you've got some cap room. But the trick here is, Dan, when those players come back, you have to remove that salary. So if a Mike Hoffman has 15 teams in the league after him and he's going to cost you $5, 6000000 million, you can add him and go above the cap. But you got to be pretty confident that uh, either a Tarasenko or a Steen or both of them aren't coming back and I think Doug Armstrong feels that you'll see at least Tarasenko. 618, uh, guys, heard you talking about Bennington um, and his play affected in the bubble and no fans. So is there any concern about his play coming up? Yeah, I think that's a concern uh, not just with Bennington but with the team. Now, to me, when you're going through it for the first time, if if you want to say that that was an excuse – uh, which I know people will say it's not an excuse, but let's give them a mulligan for that Edmonton bubble. I don't think you can make it an excuse again. You know what it is. You've lived through it before. Uh, you're you're going to have to play with whatever the circumstances are when they return to play. So is it a concern? Yes, but the players know what it is, and they're going to have to deal with it. How about financially for the Blues? And if we start the season with no fans, um, how are the Blues 
financially right now with no fans? Well, I think it's going to be difficult for a number of those uh, mid to smaller market teams. I think the one thing, Dan, that helps the Blues was that Stanley Cup run. They set records with that merchandise. And, you know, I know it doesn't all go in your pockets and and help you pay the bills in a time like this. Nobody obviously foresaw this uh, coming. and, And I think that they're learning to deal with it on the fly, just like all organizations in sports. Uh, but I think it's a situation where the Blues have been smart about some things. Unfortunately, uh, they've had to cut payroll in terms of their staff. They've, they've had to furlough employees. It, it pains me to even say that, thinking about those people who worked so hard during that Stanley Cup run, and now they have to deal uh, with something like this. So I think the answer to your question is, for how long? You know, if you're talking uh, part of the season or if you're talking about uh, a small percentage of fans in the building, you know, within the first couple months of the season, I per- personally don't see that happening uh, where, where you can get fans in the building. Uh, but I think the Blues are stable enough. The people I talk to, you know, the things that the, the, the things that they've done to put themselves in a good position um, can withstand it. But the question is, for how long? Are they anticipating at all? And I guess it depends on the city and the jurisdiction, um, Canada, you know, in the United States, wherever you live. Are they anticipating at all of having, you know, 20 percent capacity, 50 percent, depending on where you live at all? Let's say you open up January 1st or February 1st, whatever the case may be, of having any fans in the buildings? I don't think so. I think you're looking at no fans if you're talking January 1st, uh, even if you're talking January, I think. I mean, maybe you get into February, March, depending on where this goes, Dan. Uh, but I've asked those questions of the Blues. I had an interview with Chris Zimmerman, the, the business CEO, uh, probably a couple months ago. And, you know, he honestly said, I, I just don't want to get into it because it, it changes every day. And so uh, when you don't know where the COVID's going and where the virus is going to be in January. It's just so hard to predict. Uh, but he did say that uh, he agreed with everything that the commissioner, Gary Bettman, has said so far about trying to plan for it. Okay, this is from the 314. How does pay work for players? So does the team pay a full salary out of pocket or is there some kind of insurance in place for that? So I guess that's the escrow question. You know, what's there? How does that work for a shortened season? That kind of thing. Well, the, yeah, the, the team's going to pay the players uh, regardless, and it's going to be based on whatever they decide in the negotiations, uh, what's, what's in the CBA. Um, and then also as they meet with the committees now to determine how they're going to approach paying the players where the insurance comes in to me, unless I'm mistaken, that's a separate deal. Like if you have a Vladimir Tarasenko who makes $7.5 million a year and he's injured and can't play teams do carry insurance on a specific number of players. It might be three or four on a roster. And so they get some relief in that respect. Uh, but uh, unless they put them on long-term injury reserve, it doesn't help against the cap. So where are we at? I mean, we heard during the summer And I was applauding this. I think everybody was applauding this. During a pandemic, they got a CBA done. It was done quietly uh, with Gary Bettman and uh, with Donald Fear from the Players Association. Everybody's like, holy cow, they got this thing done. It was unbelievable. It was an extension during a pandemic. And now we're hearing eh, not so much. So where are we at with that? Yeah, can you believe that? I mean, it was so great to see the NHL 
uh, just push forward and get that deal done and get the teams back on the ice and reward a, uh, award a Stanley Cup. And, and you thought labor peace, you know, for the foreseeable future, this is great. Uh, and now you, you hear that uh, they're having some trouble with some of the language in the CBA. Like I said, not this upcoming year, but in, in the coming years. And and so the things that I've heard and, and both read is that, uh, you know, the owners went along with what Gary Bettman recommended. He's been so good for those owners for a number of years. And now some of those owners are are unhappy with uh, some of the language in there. The, the main contention, I think, is I don't know that they looked ahead and, and really plan for a situation where they wouldn't have fans for potentially another season. And so I think when the owners are looking at the prospect of not having that money come in yet still paying the players, you know, even if it is a, a partial season, that's something that is going to be trouble for some of these owners. And so I think, uh, you know, with the salary cap at 81.5 million, you have a lot of teams at that cap, including the blues, Dan, and it's going to be tough sledding for a couple of years for these teams. And so they want to be assured that, uh, the money's going to be there in place. What little there is more of what you want to hear scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on one Oh one ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford is in studio. Six five seven eight zero. A lot of questions uh, coming in on the text line, and uh, let's run through a bunch of them. This is from the three one four. Do you think O'Reilly gets the C? I think there's a really good chance. I think he's the no-brainer candidate. I think that uh, players gravitate towards him. We've all read and I've seen him out on the ice well after practice with the likes of Robert Thomas, Zach Sanford. Uh, David Prana, I mentioned, does a lot of that too. Uh, just galvanizing the team. And so the one thing that I would say is that if it does not go to Ryan O'Reilly, who has three years left on his deal, perhaps they say Ryan is going to be a leader regardless whether you put the C on him. So let's give it to a guy like Shen who is physical, plays with emotion perhaps he's more your your captain type uh, but O'Reilly's going to be a leader regardless 314 the alternate jersey why red JR terrible but at least we're not the Ducks <laughs> <laughs> yeah a number of those uh, retro reverse jerseys were a little bit questionable I don't mind them here's the thing and I'll just be honest here I thought when they brought back the old uniforms you know the ones that Gretzky and, and Hull and McInnes and Pronger and those guys wore last year I thought they were terrific I even liked them better last year than I did you know 20 years ago uh, here's the thing I think you can overdo things sometimes and, and now you reverse it and you got all the red and to me it takes away a little bit of what they brought out last year uh, so to me, I probably would have picked a different jersey, but it is what it is. I tweeted that day, Dan, and this will just show you, you know, my 45-year-old, uh, I can uh, keep up with the kids here on the lingo. Uh-huh. I think it's popping, and that's what they like. You know, BK, <laughs> if he's listening, he texts me right away, popping. You're too uh-huh. old to say that. <laughs> I got you. Uh, 618, is there an update on how Jay Bomeister is doing? Uh, there is not as of now. We all expect, uh, obviously, that, that he will retire. I've actually uh, reached out. Uh, to the Blues at certain points over the past couple months to try to talk to uh, Jay Bomeister and Jay. Um, not ready to talk at this point. I think everything that's going on, he's just kind of sitting back in the weeds like he normally does. So I think at one point we'll hear from Jay Bomeister, but uh, certainly retirement in his future. I- I'm assuming, too, with everything with the pandemic, I mean, he's probably 
staying as socially yeah. distant as he can. I mean, yeah. clearly. I mean, he's got to be careful. Yeah, he has to. And and you know what? Um, there's so much talk about the Blues losing a Petrangelo or, you know, what, what, the roster shifting this way. The loss of Jay Bowmeister is pretty impactful. And sure. I, I realize he was, you know, not just on the back nine, but probably on the 18th hole there. Uh, but uh, what a big part of that Stanley Cup team. So happy to see him hoisted after that long, distinguished uh, career. But I guess what I'm saying is let's not overlook the fact that you also lose Jay Bowmeister from this roster. Interesting question here. Uh, curious, because I've been wondering this too, um, prior to the Stanley Cup, but uh, from the 314, and somebody I covered and, and really enjoyed, but uh, from the 314, just wondering why Tony Twist wasn't a part of the Stanley Cup celebration. Yeah, I've gotten that question a lot from people, and I actually uh, looked into it, and I, I believe I'll have a story at The Athletic uh, you know, relatively soon uh, in, in the coming months on Tony Twist. So I've traded uh, some text messages with Tony, also spoke with him on the phone, and something that I did not know but found out, Dan, is that the Dave Checkett's own ownership group, that regime didn't really want him around. And so they told him to just kind of, you know, stay, stay back a little bit and, and stay away. And so, uh, Tony twist told me I've been socially distancing for seven years. And so (laughs) when you saw that alumni float and you saw Jamie rivers with three beers in each hand and you did not see Tony twist, uh, that's the reason he just didn't want to be around because he hasn't been around for a number of years, but living in St. Louis, living in St. Louis, uh, I believe he's about 40 minutes outside of the city, I believe. And, uh, and, I think he did go out, though, one night. Uh, Chaser must have invited him. Bernie, Federico, Brett Hall, they all went out uh, and, and visited a few uh, watering holes, and Tony Twist did go with them, I believe, that night, but for the most part, not involved. And he's such a big part, though, yeah. of, of the franchise. I mean, when you think about pre-Stanley Cup and you think about the big names of this franchise— and there's so many big names that have come through. Uh, he's one of the very popular guys of that era. Yeah, Dan, I'll tell you what. I did a uh, top 50 blues of all time for the Post-Dispatch when I was at the newspaper, and I could not keep Tony Twist off the list. And, and I left uh, some good blues off that list, but everybody you talk to, his impact and what he did uh, in terms of uh, the fans and uh, you know, just <laughs> that role and, and how... Uh, Fans connect to players in that role. Kelly Chase, we've seen it. Uh, Tony Twist, to me, is one of the top 50 Blues of all time when you talk about how popular he was. How'd you come up with the top 50? That was tough. It took weeks and weeks. Uh, some really great help. I got to thank uh, people like Bob Plager, Bruce Affleck. Uh, whenever I have an assignment like that, I just like to reach out and, uh, believe it or not, go out to lunch and, and interview <laughs> these people. And, and and so talk to them and, and get all their picks. So uh, I think that... Uh, when you put together a list like that, you have to look at it from all different angles. You can't just say the most talent or most popular. It's got to be a combination of all those things. Who is number one? I think it was uh, Brett Hall. Um, and, and I'm trying to think if we actually did rank him or if we just did call him, you know, the top 50. Uh, but I think Brett Hall has to be there. To me, you and I both respect this gentleman. I think he's uh, underrated, deserves more recognition. Bernie Federko for what he did for this uh, organization, yep. both on and off the ice. Uh, so he's up there as well. Um, your book was on with, with Bernie. Um, how did that go? The the sales of the book and, and just the response to the book? Yeah. First of all, it's a lot of fun. And, and I got to say that when I took the idea to Bernie, he was a bit skeptical. Why would people want to read about me? And to me, that feeds into, you know, him being 
kind of an underrated superstar, and, and especially in this organization. He's a Hall of Famer. And, and so he said, oh, I don't know, you know, Jr. And, and I, come on, Bernie, this would be something that your kids can read, your yeah, grandkids right. could read, uh, so on and so forth. But I'll tell you, Dan, I, I went out to his house probably 20 times, right? And I would uh, set the microphone down. Uh, in, in the center of the table and just let them go for, for five hours. And every once in a while you have to needle them, you know, to, to, to get another story out. But just to sit there and watch someone of his ilk, a Hall of Famer, uh, retell uh, junior hockey stories, you know, playing against and with Barry Melrose and, and you know, getting drafted by uh, the St. Louis Blues. I'll never forget, he had never been to St. Louis, so he comes for the first time and he walks off the plane and he walks out of the airport and he goes, oh my God, this humidity, holy smokes. <laughs> Uh, so what, what a fabulous man and, and a great career. And, uh, just, I pinch myself thinking about the, uh, that I got to sit down and write a book with him. No, it's just shy of war and peace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. I loved it. Glad you finished it. It was great. I love Maybe it. You didn't finish it. No, I actually did. Um, did, what was the favorite part or, you know, section of the book that you, cause I did read it and Bernie was in my, my wedding. I mean, he's yeah. one of my best friends. So, um, I love the band. So I talk to Bernie all the time and play golf and I just he's one of my best friends, so I I just love being around him. What what was your favorite part of it? Well, there was a number of of, of parts, uh, but I think the one thing that I get asked about the most is his relationship with Brian Sutter. Exactly. And, and I knew going into the book that, uh, you know, the relationship wasn't good and I didn't know exactly why. So to, to have those uh, long conversations with him, Dan, uh, I felt was interesting. And, and what it came down to is they were drafted together. They came up together. They were line mates. They were best of friends. Their wives rode to uh, the games together. Uh, and then when the Blues came to Bernie Federko and they said, uh, we need you to help talk Brian into coaching. He's banged up. He's got a bad shoulder. Uh, he needs to take this job. And so Bernie went to Brian and said, you're never going to get an opportunity like this. Nobody goes as a player straight to head coach, and you're going to make the same salary. Take it, Brian. So he did, but then when Brian became the coach, Brian being Brian, he drew a line in the sand, and no longer was Bernie his friend. Uh, in fact, he told his wife, uh, Brian told his wife, he, he didn't want his wife writing to the games with Bernadette anymore. Uh, Bernie told me there was one point where he asked Bernie to be the captain, and he, he said, okay, I'll do it. And then he didn't talk to him for like two months. Right. And so just the relationship went south there. Bernie got his number retired. I went to the Hall of Fame. There were a couple of opportunities uh, for Brian to be there, reach out, say something, and he never did. Yeah. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Questions, couple more minutes with Jeremy Rutherford. Thanks for coming in, JR, for the hour. Appreciate Anytime, it. Anytime, buddy. Um, let's see. This is from Tyler Stewart. He says, Hi. Daddy Padre. He is the emergency goalie, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Tyler says, Hi to JR. He also says he loves the show. So thanks, uh, Tyler. How has the uh, pandemic affected your job? That's a good question, and, and Tyler actually got into warm-ups. I wrote a story about Tyler one night, uh, so uh, he'll have that memory forever. And uh, how it's affected my job, I think, Dan, like a lot of us in the media, uh, the connection with the athletes isn't the same. Obviously, you can't be in person with them. We do a lot of Zoom stuff. You might do a phone call. Uh, but in those settings, it's just hard to get 
to the great stuff in those conversations. It's better you're, you're sitting in the dugout with a guy, I'm sitting at a locker stall, what have you, and you can have a, a really good uh, heart-to-heart conversation. I think it leads to good quality content. So we're just trying to come up with the best we can. Was This is from the 314. Was Brian Sutter asked to come back and celebrate the Cup? You know, I don't know that specifically, so I don't want to say yes or no, uh, but I know that they've asked Brian on a number of occasions to come back for some things, and he has for one or two, but he's just content on his farm and and doing the farm work, and so he doesn't come back often, uh, but to answer that question about uh, coming back for the Cup, I'm not sure. Will he come back, or is he just done? I mean, I I think he he does, yeah, so I can't say no, because they've had some, whether it be a captain night or, you know, uh, something along those lines that he's come back for. I've seen him, you know, down on the ice a couple times times in these last 15 years so i don't think he i can't remember though, says the, no the last time he was back though in st yeah, louis i'd have to you know you know i do know when that he was back for the uh uh the winter classic at bush stadium that's right he, he was, was walking around locker room um and then uh let's see who elects or appoints the captain of the blues and how that process works it can be different i do remember here's a quick funny story is uh, andy murray uh would tell everyone that it was a pick by the team everybody voted and then we found out later that uh it wasn't a vote among the players the players like i didn't vote <laughs> so right. i think andy appointed a captain uh, so i i don't know in this situation i think it would be doug armstrong craig Berube talking to the leaders finding out who wanted that role and then making an appointment i can't see a vote in this situation 314 do you foresee nathan walker making the roster this season i don't think so i think walker is a depth guy came up had a cup of coffee uh and uh actually looked pretty good moved up to the top line uh for a couple games uh but he's a, he's an undersized guy it's gonna be tough for him to to stick in the league and so right now I've, i think they view him he's got one more year left on his deal dan he'd be a minor league guy will we see hockey this season I think so. I think there's too much to lose, and I think there's an ability to get in at least a 48-game season, and I think that even though they're having some trouble right now with the negotiations on the economics, I do think they'll get it figured out. So I believe we'll have hockey. And finally, what are you working on at The Athletic? A couple things. Uh, Synthetic ice is the big thing uh, that players are putting in their basements. You know, a lot of them, you, you can't skate out at the community rinks. A lot of them are closed, and so I'm talking to a synthetic ice company that said a number of players, including I think Ryan O'Reilly decorating his ice, uh, his basement in the ice. Uh, so that's one. Tony Twist uh, we, we talked about earlier. That's something that, that I'd like to uh, touch on. And we have a lot of uh, Seattle expansion draft coming up. Who are the Blues going to protect and who might they lose? Awesome. Hey, thanks for coming uh, in. This is great, great, Danny. It's great. Great stuff. Jeremy Rutherford, get your subscription at The Athletic. And the best way to do that, how would you get your subscription? Where yep. do you go? You can go to theathletic.com, and there's a button that you can subscribe, Dan. And then also a lot of times if you're on Twitter, you can follow my tweets, and any article that you click on will lead you to that subscribe link. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, buddy. Jeremy Rutherford of The uh, Athletic, and I'm Dan McLaughlin. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Tanner, great job. This is 101 ESPN. Ribs BK coming up next. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.